You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen, amen. Remain standing and I'll open us up in a word of prayer. God, it's our delight today to come into your presence and to worship you with our brothers and sisters. Thank you for being not just a God, but being the God, being our God. This morning, Father, our prayer is simple. Would you cause our hearts to be so enamored with you, with your son, that you'd rock us from our places of complacency that still reign in our souls. Would you move us, God, to wanting to be about eternal things, to be living for things that matter, forever would you teach us would you shape us would you show us who you are and what you have for us today in Jesus name amen amen I invite you to take a seat this morning and uh, if you have your Bibles turn with me to Mark chapter 4 digging right in today you ready to dig into the word today Yes. yes two people are yes Yes, that excites me greatly that you two are here today. Mark chapter 4. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, please stick your hand up, and one of the ushers will be more than happy to give you a copy. You can follow along. Uh, Continuing on with our series uh, called Vintage Jesus, and really trying to understand more fully in our hearts exactly who Jesus is and what he came to do, and that we might live our lives solely for him. And so uh, today we get to verses 21 to 34 of Mark chapter 4, and this is what we learn today. We learn uh, what Jesus ultimately came to do, what was highest in his to-do list. It was this. It was to reveal to the world his kingdom. Jesus ultimately came to reveal to the world the reality of God and the truth of the kingdom of God, and his heart is for every single person to know and to see the reality of who he is and what God sent him to do. Isn't that true? It's true that we love these big reveals today, don't we? The big reveals. You know, you're going to lose a lot of weight. You've got to have this big reveal party at the end for some reason. You've got to show everybody who you were before and who you were after. The big reveals are such a big deal. But what about this? The, the gender reveal parties. A big deal today, isn't it? When I, you know how we released our gender of our kids to our parents? Hey, Dad, I had a son. Cool. See you soon. Now they got to have a great big party, right? And you got to make this big splash. Everybody has to see. It. It's got to be more creative than the person before you. And this, actually, this guy in Arizona a couple years ago had a big reveal party. What he did is he did this. He set up a target out in a field with like boy, girl. He's going to shoot that target. And there's some kind of explosive in there. And you know, the blue powder was going to fly or the pink powder was going to fly. And he shot it all right. And the reality is it was a dry field. And he started a forest fire that burned up 47,000 acres of natural preserve. Like, he wanted a gender reveal party they'd never forget. He got one. All of America knew this, this guy, right? And uh, big deal, big deal. Here's the biggest reveal ever. Jesus coming to reveal the kingdom of God. And he wanted to do it in a way that spread like wildfire. Just like that illustration spreads like wildfire that would take the world by storm that no one would forget because of the importance of us knowing the full reality of Jesus Christ. And so really this is what the text is about. It's about the kingdom of God and how God has sent his son to come and advance the kingdom of God, to reveal the kingdom of God, but advance the kingdom of God. 
And so let me read for you very simple parables today. They're ones you've heard before. It's not rocket science. This is why we preach through scripture, right? So we don't miss the easy ones or skip the hard ones. But this is what God has for us today from his word. Kingdom advancement. Let me read for you and then let me unpack it the best way I know how. Starting at verse 21. A lamp under a basket. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed and not in a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear, because with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the, to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. In other words, listen up. Verse 26, and he said this, the kingdom of God is, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows, but yet he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Parable three, the parable of the mustard seed. And he said this, with what can we compare to the kingdom of God? Or what Excuse me, what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that even the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. Verse 34, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. And really, to lump these three parables together, this is really talking about the kingdom of God. You saw that in the text a couple of times, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And I know the natural question is, well, what is the kingdom of God? A lot of people think the kingdom of God is just heaven. It's where the grass is always green, the sun is always shining, our utopia. And that is partially true. That is kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. The New Testament are used in synonymous with each other. Part of it is heaven, but the kingdom of God is so much broader than that. Jesus came to to reveal something so much broader than just heaven. He came to reveal the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? Broadly, it's God's eternal reign and rule over the whole universe. God is the king, and everything we see and touch and feel and experience is part of his kingdom. Where is he today? Sitting on the throne, ruling over his kingdom. Broadly, that's the kingdom of God. Narrowly, the kingdom of God is God's eternal rule on individual souls, your heart and my heart, who choose to surrender themselves in faith and repentance and allow Christ to rule on the king of our hearts. Narrowly, he's, he's, the, he's, in, he's ruling over, his kingdom is within each of us. His authority reigns within each of us in a literal sense. Christ is going to come back and reign on this earth for a thousand years during the millennium in Revelation 20. And his kingdom is going to come and rule here on earth. All of these together tell us this. What's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the, the reality that the sovereign king of the universe ultimately rules over everything. And more than just miracles, more than just teachings, this is what Jesus came to reveal. The big reveal, the kingdom of God. Awesome. And as we study this, it unpacks for us how importantly we understand not just the kingdom of God, but what God's plan is for the kingdom of God. And God's plan is this. It starts with this. Is God's plan is that his kingdom should never be hidden or kept secret, 
from anybody on the planet. That's really the illustration of the lamp under a basket. And really, to paraphrase in my own terms, here's point number one you can write in your notes. God's kingdom advancement starts here with us understanding this, that the gospel is designed to be on, put on full display. The gospel is, be defined, can be def- the gospel is designed to be on, put on full display. Very simple truth, but yet profound in our own hearts. Listen to verse 21. Think about this with me. He said this, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? The answer is, you didn't think you knew the answer to that question. It's almost like you're like, is this a trick question? It's not. Do you bring a lamp home from the store and hide it under your bed? No. Do you get a nightlight for your kids and hide it in their closet? If you do, you're mean. What is a lamp supposed to do? It's supposed to produce light so that all can see. What are we supposed to see? We're supposed to see Jesus clearly in his kingdom. Verse 22, God's plan for his son is not that he would be hidden anywhere and, and kept in the dark. It's not that he'd be a little secret even for us as believers. Oh, we got a little secret here in church and no one else is supposed to know the life-changing secret of the world is Jesus. No, it's not that at all. His, the truth is he's supposed to be put in the open so that everyone can see. Think about the reality we have in the New Testament with this reality of of the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. Old Testament, they had a partial view of Jesus, right? All the prophecies point to this glimmer of hope, this glimmer of light that was gonna come. New Testament, we have Jesus Christ here. He came, he lived, he walked, he taught, he did miracles, he healed. And so now our job is to be a light to let the whole world know the reality of Jesus Christ. That's what God created us for. Because here's a truth that we have to remember as we go throughout our lives. Jesus doesn't play hide and the seek very well. He wants to be found. Maybe you're here today, you've never heard of Jesus. Guess what? You're here today because Jesus wants you to find him. When our kids were little, we used to play hide and seek like this. We'd say, one, two, count to ten, and, and Maya would stand right in the middle of the room with a great big smile and give you a smile on her face. You'd be like, where's Maya? And she'd be like... Starts to talk, like, I can't find her. Finally, she'll be like, right here. That's, that's how Jesus wants to be seen and, and found by everybody on the planet. And so this illustration of light is what he uses in his parable. Light is a perfect illustration because he's the perfect teacher. Back in Jesus' day, they had terracotta lamps, which were... Um, little small pitchers or saucer with a handle on one end and you put the oil underneath, you put a little light on top and, and he's like, this is, this, is, this is how I want you to respond to the kingdom of God. I want you to put this on display so that all can see the light. Bible, light is synonymous with truth. Light is synonymous with Jesus. Think of all the realities of light in our own lives, in our own hearts. Like think about light for a minute and the significance of light. Just in our physical realm, we think of this. When we think of light, we think of, of sometimes being in a hotel room. You ever been in a hotel room and, and you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't exactly figure out where you are and it's all dark, it's all new. And what do you do? You clamor for the light. And what does the light do? It obliterates the darkness, right? It allows you to make sense. You're like, oh yeah, here's where I am and this is why I'm in this city. And now I can go back to sleep for a few more minutes. Think of what else light does when you go camping and you have to use the restroom, right, in the middle of the night. And you're like, oh, no. You're not leaving that tent without what? Your flashlight, right? Because what does the light do? It lights the path for you and you can go in confidence knowing you're hopefully going to come back. 
because it lights the path for you. Think about the nightlight illustration, your kids. When they wake up in the night and they're scared and panicked of a night terror, they look over in the lights there, it gives them assurance that everything is all still okay. Think about the middle of the night when someone knocks on your door. If this ever happened to you, you knock on the door and you flip on the light. What does the light do? It actually reveals who's at the door for you. Think about light just in everyday life. Think if we just lived in complete darkness, how, how horrible of existence that would be. Light, right? Like, helps you get your way around. It gives you meaning. It gives you purpose. It helps you enjoy the things that God created for you. This is the light of Jesus in the spiritual realm. In all the ways light is to our physical realm, it is, Jesus is to, gives us light in our spiritual realm. He helps us gain our equilibrium. He makes sense of our life and our situations. He guides the way. He gives assurance. He gives light to our souls. And ultimately, ultimately, he reveals the reality of Jesus Christ, the identity of Jesus Christ to our lives. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, if you have spiritual ears, a mark of your spiritual ears will tell you that, that you understand this in a way that the light of Jesus is not a concept to you. He is real to you. How do we respond to the light? The first way God wants to respond to light is to, to, to receive the light first and foremost. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, and pointing to Jesus, and it says the same thing in Matthew 4, verse 16, when Jesus came, pointing to Jesus, then when he came, this is the verse that came. The people who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. More than anything, here's what God wants for you this morning, brothers and sisters. He wants you personally to see the light. How do you know if you've seen the light? You know if you've seen the light. Like in your inner being, your heart is lit up to the things of God. There is a light shining within you when it comes to the things of God. You long for God. You want more of God. You love to be in God's word. You can't wait to get to church and worship. Something about Jesus just makes your whole soul become a glow with the reality of who he is. If that's you today, then you've already got the first part of this parable. You've seen the light. You know the light. You've been changed by the light. If this isn't you today, and you're here today, and you're like, man, nothing, nothing like that's my reality. There's no light going on inside this whole thing when it comes to Jesus. Here's your reality. Jesus today wants you to humble yourself and look up and ask God to reveal himself to you. And guess what? He will show you who he is. He wants you to see the light. And he wants to change you. But it goes beyond that. Once you see the light, Remember Moses on Mount Sinai when he went for the Ten Commandments and he came down and he was glowing, he was glowing. Reality is once you see the light and experience the light, you know how you know if you've truly seen and experienced the light? If you then go and shine the light and hold out the reality of Jesus for all to see. Here's what it says in Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16. Again, this isn't rocket science today. It's not deep theological concept, but yet it's true, and I believe it's true enough today that God wants us to be rekindled with the light of him in our hearts so the world can see. It says this in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Same illustration, but on a stand, it gives light to all in the house. Verse 16 is a little different than, than the parable here in Mark. Verse 16 says this, In the same way, let your light, not any light, but let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We 
we see the light, we receive the light, then we, 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 we glow with the light, and then we go with the light. Do you realize that your primary purpose on this earth is to be a lamp or a light in darkness? Well, now that God saved me, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to read my Bible, I'm supposed to pray. Yes, 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 and yes. But here's the ultimate purpose of your life, even today, here's the ultimate purpose of your life, to light up the darkness around you with the truth and the glory and the grace of Jesus Christ. You're not supposed to go home from church, hide out in between your four little walls and hide out your basements and let nobody know the reality of who you really are in Jesus and not let anyone see the light of Christ in you. You and I are light, the lights of the world. And we cannot be hidden. How do people see the light of Jesus in us through our Actions, our interactions, and our reactions throughout life. The primary purpose in this life is to be a light in a dark world. And let's be honest, brothers and sisters, the world is getting darker and darker and darker. And so you just step outside your front door with light, and guess what? You will be known and you will be seen, and people will see the light of Jesus within you. It says in Matthew chapter 4, it's through our good deeds. It's actually caring about others and being involved in other people's lives and, and doing good things, not just so that we can say we're good people and get a Citizen of the Year award, but so they can see that there's a difference enough. Look at the world around us. People are running here, there, and everywhere. No one gives two cents about anyone else today, except for who? Believers. You and I. Through our what? Through our good deeds. Through the way that we speak. Man, you talk to someone for like more than 50 seconds and you can generally tell if they have the light of Jesus in them or not. What about when you talk to people? Can they tell you have the light of Jesus in you? Are you a tear down person or encouraging person? Are you a negative person or a positive person? Do you show gratitude or do you just take things for granted? What about just the things you do? Are you willing to help people, to give people respect? Are, are you looking for opportunities to spread the light of Jesus? Notice how it says good works. It tells us exactly what to do. I think God leaves a lot up to us. But are you looking for opportunities to spread the light of Jesus in your little world, your little sphere of influence? Good deeds are one way to do it. You know, the way to do it is, is when you go through hard times. Where does the light shine the brightest? When it's dark. We as Christians always pray this. We always pray, God, save me from hard times. Make me comfortable. Please don't let anything happen to me. That's most of our prayers at lunch and at bedtime, is it not? And yet, here's the reality. We are going to face hard times on purpose by God to grow us, to shape us, and to, and to make us into men and women who are supposed to be. But also this, that the others around us can see the light of Jesus in our dark times. Instead of resenting dark times, the job losses, the conflicts, the criticism, the cancer. How about thanking God for those hard times because then you can express the light of Jesus in a clear way to those around us. People don't get it when we still worship Jesus in hard times. Someone in the first service said this to me after church, like, now I understand why my nephew passed away a week and a half ago. We buried him because if he didn't pass away, a hundred people wouldn't have heard the gospel at his funeral. 
where the light could be shone. Spent some time with Dan and Nicole again this past week as they await his imminent return to Jesus through cancer. And let me tell you, you know what speaks loud and clear through their lives? The light of Jesus is shining in dark and hopeless situations. Don't resent the hard times. Allow God's light to shine within you in the hard times. But ultimately, it's this. Shining the light is this. It's it's telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ and, and revealing to them what God has revealed to you about Christ and his kingdom. Somehow we as Christians think it's all good to come into our little holy huddles here and have our little hooray service for Jesus here. And then when we leave here, man, he's the biggest secret in our lives. People who need the light and the darkness, well, we're keeping the light all to ourselves. And, and I think this, I think, well, why would we do that? This is the greatest news we could ever give somebody. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you actually got to the point of like giving the true light to somebody and sharing the good news of the gospel? When was the last time you opened up the silence and said, okay, here, here's what I really believe. Here's, here's what's going on, really going on in our home and in my heart. Nothing is hidden except to be manifest. Anything that's secret is to come into the light. There's no such thing as secret Christians. There's no such thing as secret Christians. You're like putting up all your Christmas lights and never plugging them in. Who does that? It's too much work. What will the people around you today? Is your light shining to the point where they know that you're a Christian, that you have hope? Are you one of those secret Christians that hope that somebody else is going to tell them or somehow they're going to figure it out? It should be a surprise. It should be no surprise at your funeral when people bring up Jesus Christ. It shouldn't be a shock. I went to a funeral a number of years ago now from someone who was in the same church we were in and this woman was, she got cancer and passed away within a couple weeks. It was a very sad scenario but the reality is she was one of the big worshipers in church. She'd be the one, hands up in the air, dancing around. She was active in the youth group. She'd be the social butterfly in the lobby and uh, came to her funeral and the church showed up and all her friends from outside the church showed up and here's the thing that strikes me the most about that whole funeral. We, we wept and we worshiped and yet all of her unsafe friends said this, we had no idea she had this side of her. This is all brand new to us. I'm like, wow. What about you? Do people around you see the light? Do they know the light? Look what it says here. We had to pay attention to this, verse 24. Pay attention to what you hear. Because with the measure you use it, with the measure you allow the light to come into you, with the measure that you allow the light to be shone, still more will be added to you. In other words, God's going to give you a greater revelation of himself and grow you in great ways and, and manifest his presence in your life in great ways. You're going to, if, you, if you take this, this truth and you actually shine it, you're going to see so much more of God's work in your life. But yet the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Ultimately, this is saying, God's saying this. Jesus' point was so simple in this. Those who accept and faithfully preach the gospel can similarly expect to be re rewarded eternally by God for their diligent efforts. Bottom line is this. My part is to shine. My part is to shine. Your part is to shine. God's part is to make the light penetrate the darkness. What can you control? Here's the light. What does God do? Makes the light penetrate the darkness. This is what the next two parables are really saying here. 
I shine, God grows. I sow, God grows. Here's point number two, the second parable. God orchestrates the growth of his kingdom. God is the one who orchestrates the growth of his kingdom. Parable of the seed growing. And it's like this. Here's the kingdom of God. Here's how the whole seed grows. You look at the last sermon I preached from Mark chapter 4, verse 20. It's talking about the seed bearing fruit, bearing fruit. One of the ways you know it bears fruit is if you're actually shining the light of Jesus and, and his light is growing within you. The other way it bears fruit is, is by God just makes it supernaturally happen in other people's lives. Verse 26, the kingdom of God is like this. If a man scatters seed on the ground, he sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces fruit by itself, first a blade, then the ear, then the full grain of the grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Very simple, very simple. Who makes seeds grow? Do you? Do I? No, God does. This should be a relief for us, right? Because sometimes we start sowing, sowing, sowing. We're like, nothing's happening. I'm going to stop sowing. But it's not up to us to make seeds grow. It's us to make seeds sow. We sow, God grows. When it comes to salvation in your own heart, when it comes to salvation in other people's hearts, you can't make it happen. It is all God and not us. I learned this principle really early in school, back in grade four or five, in the science project. Remember the science project you had to do? So I'm thinking, like, let's take the easy path out. I'm going to find a couple of the easiest science project ever. What we did, my friend and I, is we got ivy plants. We put them in soil, and we watered them with a different ingredient every day, you know, for, the, for a month to see which one would grow. So one had Coca-Cola. Remember that part. One had coffee. One had orange juice. One had water, whatever. And you know what's a miracle to me is that those seeds grew even with Coca-Cola and caffeine and, and, and Coke and uh, coffee. The end of the day, we did everything to wreck those things, and those things still grew. And the worst part of it all is we won the competition and had to do it again. <laughs> Point, though, we don't make anything grow. Only God does. Only God does. It's the exact same spiritually. When it comes to spiritual things, we've got nothing. And God has everything. Here's my favorite verse in the Bible, John 15, verse five. You know it. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do, we can do nothing. But yet somehow we put all the onus on ourselves to do something and make ourselves grow and make other people grow. We get so down, we get so discouraged, and then we stop sowing. God says, you keep sowing, and I'll do the growing. And the harvest belongs to him. Verse 29 here, when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle. It sounds like a judgment thing. It sort of is. It's the harvest time when he actually goes and reaps all the harvest for himself. The farmer comes and says, here's all my harvest. I'm going to take it home now because the harvest has come. Why? Because God did it. The harvest belongs to the Lord. There's no gloating. There's no, look what I did. It all belongs to the Lord. You may not see it right in the text here, but there's some real clear salvation principles of God and his kingdom when it comes to salvation. The Bible tells us salvation is a bit of a mystery, and yet we see clearly in this passage, what is it? Salvation is absolutely 100% a work of God. 
Salvation is absolutely 100% a work of God. Matthew 19, 26, when the disciples asked him, okay, then who could be saved? Who can be saved? Here's what God says. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are impossible. That verse is so taken out of context, isn't it? I need to get an A on my test. Well, it's impossible for you, but it says that God is possible with God. That's, that's not the context of it all. I want to get the game-winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. Well, that's impossible with you, but God can make it possible. This is salvation. It's impossible for men, but with God, things all, all things are possible. John 1.13 tells us the same thing. Some of us think we're saved because we were born into the right family or have done all the right things, but it says in John 1.13 that salvation comes not who were born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's why Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 tell us that salvation is a gift of God by grace through faith that he actually implants in us. It just makes God all that much more glorious and our hearts all that much more in awe of who he is. It's a work of God. Now we also understand as we study scripture that it's not completely in the dark. John Grud or Wayne Grudem in his, in his um, book, Systematic Theology, helps us understand a little bit about the work of God. And, and here's the order of salvation according to how much we can figure out. And I want to tell you this doesn't always happen perfectly in the exact order, but here's some of the ways that God tells us about salvation in his word. We're elected, God's choice of his people to be saved. God chooses us and calls us out. The gospel call, people only come to salvation as the gospel is preached to the world. Regeneration means we're born again on the inside. Conversion through faith and repentance, we now are justified, find a right legal standing with God and being adopted into the family of God. Through our justification adoption, then God begins sanctifying us and giving us a right conduct of life and, and even working perseverance in us, knowing that we will only remain a Christian till the very end if God is working in us. And then even in our death, we know this, that because the gospel has been orchestrated by God, we will be with the Lord, not because of anything we've done or how good we are, because God is so gracious to us in Jesus Christ. And ultimately, we'll be glorified receiving a resurrection body. This is salvation. How it all fits together? God does it in God's way for God's purposes. It truly is a bit of a mystery to us. Paul tells us this about salvation. Just like it says here. He sleeps and rises day and night and he's looking out in the field and doesn't see anything grow and all of a sudden sprouts come up. It's, it's a mystery to us. Paul, uh, John says in John 3, 8, when he's asked, what must, what must we do to be born again? He says, of the word and of the spirit. As the wind blows is how we're born again. As the wind blows. You can hear it coming, but you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know how it's all going to work out. And sometimes we get all discouraged. Like there's something, something must be something wrong with us. And that's how even you see families, families of two adults and four kids. How come like half of them come to know Jesus and half of them don't? Well, it must be a parenting flaw. No, no. It's because God's chosen in his mystery of the gospel to work in some and, and not in others quite yet maybe sometimes. Well, how come I've been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying for somebody and they're not saved yet? I must be praying right. No, you might be praying right and you might even actually be doing all the right things, but yet God in his providence and his sovereignty has not yet chosen to allow that person to be saved. It's a divine mystery. But we know this, that God's always right and God's always good. It's also this, it's life-changing. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, just like you see evidences of salvation here in this so evidence of the seed growing in this text, there's evidences of salvation in us because every part of the person is changed. The old is gone, the new is here. 
and you start seeing life change, you start seeing things happen in your lives that can only be God and the seed starts growing and sprouting and there's fruit, only God does that. So even today, we can release ourselves from the pressure of making spiritual things happen in our own hearts and in the hearts of others. Isn't that a relief? So much burden, so much pressure. Yet I know farmers who every year they plant their same crop in the same field with the same ingredients and everything they do, their fertilizer. And some years what happens? It grows. Other years what happens? It doesn't grow. To expect the same crop every year would be absolutely ridiculous. And yet we even apply this to our spiritual lives. We get into this, this place and church growth movement is really bad for this, to be honest. We think that if we're really being effective for the Lord and, and maybe you're in your own life, you're really going to be effective in ministry, then you're going to have growth, 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 growth. If you're not growing, something's wrong. And so we look at churches that are big and we think, oh, God must be working there. Look, how, look at the evidence of growth. And look at churches that are small. Well, God must not be working there. There's nothing happening there. We look at even our church sometimes. Like, we're not growing. There's something wrong. Let's find another one. Let's go somewhere else. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. I honestly think the church growth movement is taking us away from the true gospel in so many ways and setting ourselves up for so many false expectations that we can't even live out. And so we stop sharing our faith. We stop coming to church. Write this church off and that church off because we're not growing. Well, really? Don't put that pressure on yourself or me, please. We sow, God grows. Say it with me. We sow, God grows. Isn't that awesome? You've already heard the gospel this morning. That's my only job in this church. Preach. I can't make anything happen in anyone's lives. What a freeing reality. As you go out from out here, all you can do is preach the gospel. You can't make anything happen in not one person's life. Isn't that freeing? You just got to share. So the point is, you got to share. The point is, you got to share. Sowing seeds isn't just a good deed. Sowing seeds is sharing the truth of the gospel. I know you're thinking, well, I'm not theologically sound enough. I really don't know enough theology. Get this. You don't have to know enough theology. You don't have to be sound enough. You have to know Jesus. That's the prerequisite. You have to know the gospel. That's it. It's so easy. It's so simple. There's no excuses. I can sit around waiting for someone else to share the gospel. Don't do that. It's your call, your responsibility. That's what your life is for. Here's a simple way to share the gospel if you want to throw the next slide up, Julian. It's the, the three circles. Oh, that one's not in there yet. Yeah, there it is. It's the three circles. A guy in Florida came up with this in his office once, a pastor in Florida trying to explain to someone just the simplicity of the gospel in a marriage counseling situation. He wrote it on a, piece, on a napkin. Turns out that he put it on the internet and it's gone global now and this is a great way to share the gospel. It shows how simple it is. Here's, if you don't know how to share the gospel, here's, here's how you share. Here's what it is. If you don't know the gospel, here's what it is. It's simply this, God's design. God created us, Genesis chapter one and two, in his image. Garden of Eden, everything was perfect. The way God intended walking and talking to his children, the problem is sin came into the world. Eve took that bite. Adam allowed her to. You've taken your bite of the apple, so don't judge anyone else. And sin has wrecked God's good design and the sin nature in us has come up. Romans chapter three, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. No one does righteous, no, not one. Sin has broken us, and so now we're broken. Every part of us has been tainted, me, myself included. The way I think, the way I act, the way I feel, it's all been tainted by sin. And I can't even do anything about it. Can a leopard change its spots? Can a zebra ripe off its stripes? No way. We are in the, we're all sinners by nature. 
and this broken reality that we now have, we face every day in our own lives, in our own families, and we leave brokenness everywhere we go because of our condition as sinners. But God loved us enough to not leave us there, and so he gave us Jesus Christ, the gospel, King Jesus, to come and rescue us. And so our job is to repent and believe as we see the truth. Jesus comes and he, he rescues us and he starts healing us and changing us and then creating us back into the original image that God designed called sanctification. He helps us to recover and he helps us also to help everyone else know the full reality of the gospel as well to help them see God's design which is broken by sin which is solved by Jesus which keeps going full circle. And you could give this to anybody in about five minutes in any place at any time. This is how we sow seeds. How are you doing with sowing seeds of the gospel? Instead of looking at what other people are, are doing or aren't doing, instead of critiquing how they do it, here's the reality. Why don't you just get a big bag of seeds of the gospel and start sowing them wherever you go? Most of us say this. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Can I tell you this? Tomorrow never comes. God's call in your life is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Reality hit home this summer with this whole we'll do it tomorrow thing. I have a neighbor that um, really didn't like us a whole lot, to be honest. My kids' balls would always go onto his yard, and apparently that's a bad, big deal to people who like their lawns. And I cut my lawn too close to his lawn, and different things would happen. And so there's kind of this little tension he'd had towards us and quite honestly in my own heart I was kind of getting frustrated with him too like what's the big deal man like because our trees are over your fence no big deal I'll cut them you know and and so there's last year or so I've been kind of getting convicted of that and my son's been better at this than I have and you know he's taking cookies over for Christmas invites whatever and and uh really started praying that God would give me an opportunity to share Christ with him and uh trying to make those little connections you know those little hey how you doing a little stop and chat with them as they go by and trying to at least show that we're not angry whatever and let's have, be friends and um, last August, we came home from uh, somewhere at the end of August, and, and everything seemed normal. Monday morning, another neighbor knocked on our front door and said, hey, did you hear what happened to your neighbor? No, is he okay? No, he dropped dead on the front lawn last Friday night. My reaction, too. Hit me like a ton of bricks. Why didn't I sow? Fear? Complacency? Procrastination? The reality is, get this, let this reality sink into your head today. This, this is one I, 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 that was my reaction for a whole week. It just kind of like this numbed, like, the reality is that the people who die that don't know Jesus Christ, they spend an eternity in hell apart from Jesus Christ. Like, there, there's no turning back at that point. There's no like, sorry, I wish I would have told you. It's over. It's finished. It's... I know we got a lot of things to do. I know we're busy. I know things come fast in today's day and age. We can't get so busy and so self-preoccupied that we forget about sharing the gospel. I don't want to be persecuted. Our brothers and sisters around the world are being killed and we're afraid of being called names. This is urgent. I don't want to be the country club church, to be honest, that comes here and has our little holy huddles and high fives each other and say, what a great worship set. Oh, what a great sermon, pastor. Who cares? 
If our lights aren't shining out there that is, and making a difference in people's lives that people are coming to know the same Jesus, we want to know. Yeah, church growth doesn't matter, but on the other half, it does matter because we want to see God's kingdom expanding, whether they stay in our church or go to another church. Who cares about that stuff, right? Right? The point is we want people to be coming to Christ and his kingdom. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. Let the light shine. And be patient in your sowing. Don't give up. Oh, I did that five years ago and no one came to know Christ, so I give up. Don't give up. You don't know. You don't know where those seeds are being planted and how God is going to use them forever. Here's the last parable, quickly, last parable. When it comes to Christ advancing his kingdom, we have a responsibility before him. He makes the kingdom advance. He makes the seeds grow. But ultimately, ultimately this, know this, God's expansion plans are massive. God's expansion plans are massive. With this final parable, we see Jesus assuring his disciples that, hey, this little work that you're a part of right now, it's going to make global difference for generations to come. This, this little thing that you're a part of as disciples, only 12 of you right now, but you know what? This is going to influence millions of people in all different cultures, in all different contexts, in all different nationalities, of all different socioeconomic situations. This is going to influence people all over the world forever. And this thing is going to be the biggest thing that ever hit the planet. Jesus Christ came, not just to change individuals, souls but to change the world forever and he uses an allegory here that they would know in their agricultural culture of the Jewish people he uses a parable of a mustard seed this is the kingdom of God this is this is God's reign this is God's rule it's like a grain of a mustard seed which actually isn't the smallest of all the seeds in the earth they say but at that time probably that's what they thought it was and yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and put out, puts out large branches. Put that picture up, Julian. This is, this is what it grows to. A mustard seed grows into something like this where the birds flock and they even make, up, make nests in there. Reality is a sign of blessing. It's a sign of abundance when the birds are making nests in trees up to 15 feet tall. Out of a little, little mustard seed, 15 feet tall, these bushes grow. That's God's kingdom. You don't know what's going to happen with the little seeds. God's kingdom is, is designed that he is going to make this little seed into something magnificent, incredibly more than we could ever all ask or imagine. That's God's kingdom. And you can't stop his kingdom from growing. I can't stop his kingdom from growing. The scriptures tell us in Matthew chapter 16 that, that I will grow my church or build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail. Doesn't matter if it's a communist country, if it's a closed country. In fact, the gospel is growing there more than here probably. Because they're not complacent. They can't sit on one side. They, they don't think they can have a foot in both worlds. They're like, they're either all in or all out. We seem to think we can be like, oh, I'm foot in both worlds. You can't. But his kingdom is going to grow. It doesn't mean our church is going to grow. In fact, he could shut this place down. That's up to him. But guess what? His kingdom is still going to grow. It's never going to stop growing. And we're a part of, a, we're a part of something that is going to last forever. We're, we're investing our lives in a kingdom from a place of victory, not a place of defeat. Do you get that? You're investing your life in a kingdom from a place of victory, not a place of defeat. God's kingdom's not like Target. Oh, we're going to take over Canada. Two years later, didn't work. Head down, tail between the legs, let's go back to America now. God's kingdom will never be stopped. It'll never stop growing. It'll never stop moving forward. You can't stop God. I can't stop God. Nothing can stop God from accomplishing his purpose in this world. And all he asks us to do is be a part of it. The joy of being a part of what he's doing 
in the universe. This is true for the seed that's growing within you of the gospel. Don't think you're done growing yet. God has incredibly more to ask and to show and to grow you in. This is, this is for our church. Don't think that we're done influencing people for Christ. I pray we're not. I was challenged at the beginning of this church to pray for 120 people to show up on the first Sunday. God doubled that on us, and he's been doing more and more and more ever since. Don't think we're done with kingdom influence for the glory of God. God is going to move, and his kingdom is going to produce fruit until he comes back. But it's according to God's perfect plan. It's strategic. It's God-glorifying, and it's world-changing. Awesome. This is what Jesus came to reveal. Doesn't it feel sometimes, though, that God's church isn't growing? Like his kingdom isn't advancing? Doesn't it feel that way sometimes? But I want to assure you it is. Because God said it would. In fact, I read a study this past summer from Lifeway. It came out in June of this year by Aaron Earls. And here's some points I just wanted to encourage you with as you think about God's kingdom and how it's growing and, and how God is, not, God is still on the move today as he was back in the Acts days, back when he was when Jesus was here. Get this. Christianity is growing faster than the population. Globally, Christianity is growing at a 1.27% rate while the world growth rate is 1.20%. There are some religions growing faster than Christianity. Let's be real about that. But yet, but yet, the reality is that right now, at this point in history, there's more people who would profess to be Christians in the world than there would be to any other religion. Here's another cool point about God's kingdom growing. Atheism has peaked. Atheism's peaked. There are fewer atheists in the world today, 138 million. There were in 1970. There was 165 million. It's kind of peaked at a level of, of where we're at, but it's expected over the next you know, 20, 30 years that it's going to decrease increasingly as the world goes forward. There's, there's no indication that atheism is growing like the tabloids and the news channels want to tell you. Number three, get this, there are more evangelism opportunities for Christians than ever before. Do you realize the vast majority of non-Christians live their lives never interacting with a Christian? But that number is actually shrinking. In the 1900s, only 5.5% of non-Christians knew a Christian. Today it has grown to 18.3%. It's more evangelism opportunities than ever before. People that you rub shoulders with, people that you go to work with and school with, might never hear about Jesus except through you. Last one is this, the percentage of the unevangelized is shrinking. Back in the 1900s, 120 years ago now, 54.3% of people in the world are unevangelized. That percentage continues to shrink, dropping to 28.4% in 2019. That's awesome, don't you think? The world is hearing about Jesus, but you know what that still means? It means that there are almost 2.2 billion people living today that are still considered unevangelized. And get this, they're right here in Canada. In Niagara, with all these churches, they have never heard of the gospel. And by us taking that light and shoving it in our pocket, or hiding in our houses, in our basements, and not taking these passages seriously, we're missing some amazing opportunities to see God at work in our lives and the lives of those around us. 
Brothers and sisters, we can't afford to not let our light shine. I know some of you get it, and you're out there, and you're doing it. Others of us, let's be honest, we're so complacent. We're so complacent. We're so self-absorbed. We're so only worried about being comfortable that in fact we're missing totally God's purpose for our lives. You have spiritual ears, you're going to hear not me today, God today. For those of you going to take this to heart and get this, man, God has so much more for you with himself, with fruit in your life, with fruit in other people's lives. For those of you going to choose to like good sermon for somebody else, don't care. You can expect what it says in the text. It's going to be taken from you and given to somebody who can do something with it. I want to be a people. I want to be a church that lights up our community with the truth of Jesus. Let's be honest. It's getting darker and darker and darker and darker and darker in the world. You stand for truth, your light's going to shine. You love Jesus, your life's going to shine. You want to make a difference? It's not even that hard. Your light is going to shine. And God's going to take the little seed that he planted in you, and he's going to grow it into a massive tree of spiritual fruit for his glory. That's what we're about as a church. That's what we have to be about as individuals. Forget this whole like coming here comfortable country club thing. That's not it. That's not it. I want to be with Jesus. I want to be with what he's about. I want to see his kingdom grow. I want to see it grow. And I want to see it grow. I want to see it grow. I want to see it take over Niagara. I want to see Christ take over Niagara. Amen. For the glory of his son. For the glory of God's son. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Not a deep theological truth today. Not a complex passage today. That's probably what makes it so difficult in some ways. It's so simple. It's so real. So convicting. Father, would you convict us in a good way? Not that we'd run out of here feeling guilty and ashamed. But instead, oh God, that we would have a desire now to live our lives, to let our light shine. That's our mission in this earth, to let our light shine, to let the gospel of Jesus Christ be known. No more hiddenness, no more secret Christians. Forgive us for the times when we failed. Forgive us for the times when we've fallen short and not cared about people enough to share Christ. Forgive us when we got so much so busy that we've neglected the things that your heart cares so deeply about. Take us from here, Lord, and grow in us a passion for the name of your Son. Grow within us a passion for other people. May your kingdom come right here, right now, in a way that's obviously only you. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, church, and sing this prayer as we close.